0: Greening with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: That's exactly right. Presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests like Booger McFarlane coming up. Isaiah Thomas earlier today on the Goodyear Hotline. Happy Michael Jordan's birthday. Again, it should be a federal, if not global holiday. Michael Jordan, 58 today. If you're just joining me, you just missed the outstanding green list today. My favorite five notes about the greatest ever to do it in Michael Jordan. And I will just say this. Um, I, I just posted a picture if you want to see it. It's on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram address is at ESPN Greeny. And I put it up there and it was a screenshot of something that they had in Last Dance. Um, because when I was 24 years old, I was given the job of following Michael around. And there's a great moment they captured. When when you see my hair, you will laugh hysterically. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's up on Instagram right now. Feel free to mock it at ESPN Greeny. But the truth of the matter is, that when you're a, a person of the greatness of Michael Jordan, you make a lot of people's careers, many of whom you do accidentally, just sort of tangentially or parenthetically. And I'm definitely one of those people. Definitely. I, if it had not been for Michael Jordan, I would be a lawyer today. Um, my my dad was a lawyer. And when I was growing up, I think everyone assumed I would follow in my father's footsteps and become a lawyer. And I wanted to be a sports announcer, and to their everlasting credit, my parents, thought that sounded like a really good idea. My grandparents did not. <laughs> but um, the way I viewed it, I, when I graduated from college, I was going to give it a couple of years. I was going to try this for a couple of years. And if nothing good happened to me, you know, if I didn't seem to have a career um, in, this, in this, in this sports announcing, and this was a world before, I mean, you know, it's obviously way before Mike and Mike. This was in a world before PTI. This was a world where opinion shows almost didn't exist. Anyway, the point of the story is that um, I was going to give it a couple of years. I don't remember exactly how long I felt I would give it. I was going to give it a few years and see if I got anywhere. And if not, I was going to go to law school. And the luckiest thing, I guess, that ever happened to me in my professional life happened, which is that a guy named Ron Gleason said the words, you're doing a pretty good job here, kid. I'm going to send you on the road with Michael Jordan. And I flew to Cleveland in May, I guess it would have been of 92, the Eastern Conference Finals in 92 to cover that series. And my life was never the same again. My life has never been the same again. And it would never have happened without that. So if you wonder why I'm so defensive of Jordan and why I was yelling at Tory Smith today, or anyone else who will suggest that anyone other than Jordan is the greatest basketball player that ever lived, I admit fully that I am biased. And that is the reason. Anyway, the picture is funny. I think you'll like it. It's on Instagram right now if you would like to see it. Meanwhile, Jordan is really not the the impetus for my unsolicited advice today, but he kind of is. This is a perfect opportunity for you to try some active listening. Unsolicited advice. All right. Unsolicited advice. The NBA doesn't need any advice from me, but I'm going to give it to them anyway. They need to get much more serious about the flopping. Much more serious. Flopping is a scourge flopping in the NBA is a scourge flopping in sports is everything that is wrong with sports everything first and foremost it is trying to fool the officials now if you would actively try to fool the officials then I'm really not interested in hearing you complain about the officiating you're sitting here trying to actively confuse the officials to act you're actively trying to make them think they've just seen something that they didn't see but then later when they miss a call you you're all, all hell is going to break loose so actively trying to confuse the officials or to fool the officials is completely contrary to what should be going on here second of all it's just weak i mean it's horrible if you you lose the right to make fun of it in soccer and when we watch international soccer, which I do, I like, I like the World Cup and I watch some soccer. And when they, these guys fall down like they've just been shot in the back of the leg and then they're, they're holding onto their leg like they will never walk again. And then some guy walks out there with, I don't know, some sort of aerosol can. I don't know what's going on, sprays it. Then they get up and they're running just like they're absolutely fine. And you see no one ever touched them in the first place. It's horrible to watch. It's my least favorite thing about that sport. And it's no different in the NBA. And there's only one way to get it out of the sport. You have to make penalties that matter. So you might have seen the story this weekend that the NBA has warned LeBron James and Kyle Kuzma of the Lakers about flopping. Here's the warning. Further violation. So so far, all they've received is a warning. It's not even a reprimand. It's a warning. The next violation would result in a $5,000 fine. (laughs) A $5,000 fine. LeBron James is worth a billion dollars. If he drops $5,000 on the street, he will not bother to bend over to pick it up. He makes $550,000 a game. And by the way, fully deserves it. Don't get me wrong. LeBron James is on my Mount Rushmore of all-time greatest basketball players. He's incredible. I love him. But the flopping has got to stop. The second violation is five thousand dollars. The third is fifteen thousand dollars, and the fifth—excuse me—the fourth is fifteen. The third is ten thousand. The fourth is fifteen. The fifth violation is a thirty thousand dollar fine. Someone who's better than I am at math, do the, the math on this. What percentage of f- five hundred and fifty thousand is thirty thousand dollars? It's like three times five times whatever it is. It's a very small percentage. So, in his fifth violation of the anti-flopping policy. LeBron would get fined whatever percentage of his one-game salary that would add up to. That's not a, that's not a deterrent. It's not going to keep anyone from doing anything. We need something meaningful, something that affects the outcome of the game. I don't know what. I, I Do something that will get this to stop. And I'll tell you why I hate it so much. A, I hate it on television. It's unsightly to watch in the NBA. But B, my son played AAU basketball for years. He's now a senior in high school, and parenthetically, the thought of having seen his last game destroys me in ways that I can't even begin to tell you, but that's neither here nor there. I've been watching my kid play basketball since he started in third grade playing AAU, and I'm telling you right now, these kids are flopping. You go to AAU games, you go to high school games, these kids are flopping. They call it selling a call. It's flopping, and it's terrible. And I couldn't even tell Stephen, Stevie, if you do that, I'm going to pull you off the floor because they're all doing it. So you'd be giving up a competitive advantage. We need to put an end to it. We need to put an end to flopping. So Bubba, my disheveled board operator, Brendan Bubba Peregrine, I would like to put together a committee to look into some way of getting rid of flopping. And if you have the time in your schedule, I'd like you to chair that committee. Can we get that happening? Yeah, I can can take a look. Are you on my side? Are you as opposed to flopping as I am? I'm not in favor of it, that's for sure. Yes. No, so Bubba is going to be the chair of the Anti-Flopping Committee, which we're going to be working on here. And once again, I will merely say on this Michael Jordan's birthday that if anyone ever did that, if anyone acted the way they act in the NBA today, when Michael Jordan hadn't touched them, he would punch them in the head. He would just punch them in the head, and that would be it. Uh, Coming up next, we haven't had any phone calls today. We're going to change that in a hurry. We're going to play What Do You Want to Know? Your chance to ask me a question about sports, and I will answer it as best I can if you can just get past Bubba. My phone number is 888-SAY-ESPN, 888 Give me a call. What do you want to know? I'll answer your questions next. I'm Greeny on ESPN Radio.
0: Greeney, the podcast.
2: All right, we roll along
1: here on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. You could save big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit progressive.com. Booger McFarlane will join me coming up in about 15 minutes. I wish you again a very happy Michael Jordan's birthday as we celebrate what, again, I believe should be a global holiday. Michael Jordan is 58 years old today. Meanwhile, uh, Bubba, it is time for you to go to work here. We are playing a little game here called What Do You Want to Know? Anyone who can get through Bubba can ask me whatever question they would like about the world of sports, and I will do my best to answer. Bubba, who is first up? We'll start with Brandon. Brandon, you're on ESPN Radio. Brandon, what do you want to know? Greeny, love the show, man. Love love to get up. Love the old Mike and Mike. So I know you're a huge Jets fan. I'm a huge Bills fan. We're kind of on the opposite side of the fence here. But do you see the Jets making a big push for Watson? Are you going to give Darnold a chance? I, I don't think the Jets solved their issues. Drafting a quarterback at number two, that that really doesn't fix anything. You're going to wait another three or four years if you do that. What what do you think? Yes. The Jets have three options, and thank you for the call. The Jets have three options at quarterback. Deshaun Watson would be my first choice. Whatever it takes to get Deshaun Watson, I'm 100% in on. You then have the option of either staying with Sam Darnold or taking a quarterback at number two. I've said repeatedly The second pick in the draft is going to be the quarterback from BYU, the kid Zach Wilson. Either the Jets are going to take him or they're going to trade the pick to someone who does. My gut feeling is at that stage, I hope they trade the pick to someone who does. I mean, the Jets have a variety of holes and needs. I believe Sam needs a fresh start somewhere else, and it would be the best thing for him. But I'm not 100% sold that drafting a quarterback at number two right now is in the best interests of the New York Jets. So my first choice is that they take Deshaun Watson. My second choice is they find another solution at quarterback and trade the second pick in the draft for more picks and start putting together a franchise uh, that way. That, that would be the way I would see this going. My personal pick is that Sam Darnold is the quarterback somewhere else. I don't know if that's the direction it's all going to go. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. Bubba, who's next? We got Tom. Tom, you're on ESPN Radio. What do you want to know? Hey, Greeny. I've, I've had students take for Eagles first. 39 years and i've and i've seen a lot of football i want to know why you don't think carson wentz with a new head coach that's going to finally run an offense for his quarterback unlike doug peterson why you don't think carson Wentz would be more like 2017 than 2020 because the a franchise quarterback it's very difficult greeny i'm with you listen ask him that question carson wentz being traded out of philadelphia is being driven by carson wentz When they first fired Peterson, I came on this show and I told you, there's no way they're going to trade Wentz now. They've already done everything they could to keep him. They fired the coach. He won a power struggle. Wentz is going to be the quarterback, and let's see what happens. That's what I assumed. But you know what happens when you assume? And I was wrong. Everything I hear from all of the insiders that we have, who are the best in the business, is that Wentz is going to get traded because Wentz wants out. So, yeah, they're hiring Frank Reich Jr. to come in and be the coach. And Nick Sirianni, I don't know how that's going to go or not. But it is Wentz who wants out. This is not being driven by the organization. I believe it's being driven by Wentz. And they have reluctantly, from the way I understand it, come around to the idea of trading him. So, yeah, maybe he could wind up being good again. But I think he is disillusioned with the franchise and he's sort of over it with the fan base now and all the rest of that. I mean, all sorts of terrible reasons, terrible reasons to want to go be on a different football team. But uh, until someone convinces me otherwise, I believe this is Wentz driven. So the spirit of your call, which is they should keep him, I agree with. But I think he's not giving them that option. That's the way I understand it. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. Bubba, who's next? Let's go to Brandon number two. Brandon number two. What would you like to know?
0: Winnie, I just want to talk to you about uh, the Atlanta Falcons and how everybody in the top ten has uh, had a trade proposal for Deshaun Watson, but yet the Atlanta Falcons had not thrown out anything. I heard, you know, you're hearing all this about uh, the Carolina Panthers and giving up the number 8 pick and Teddy Bridgewater and Christian McCaffrey. What about the Falcons giving up Matt Ryan, maybe Julio Jones, in the fourth overall pick with a couple draft picks? What do you think about that?
1: See, they're not going to trade Ryan and Julio like that. That's just not what's going to happen. They're going to give Ryan, and I think he deserves it, they're going to give him – a graceful exit, you know, and, and I don't know if that, when exactly that's going to be. My gut feeling is they draft a quarterback at four, they, they sit him a year behind Ryan, and then Ryan goes on. Now, I think the best thing that could happen for Ryan and maybe the best thing that could happen for everybody is that they find a way to let him go to San Francisco. Well, I think Matt Ryan and Kyle Shanahan have unfinished business. Playing for Kyle Shanahan, Matt Ryan was the MVP of the league, and that's a Super Bowl team. And the Falcons are starting over. But the sense I'm getting is that they are going to draft a quarterback at four, sit that quarterback a year behind Ryan with the, the intention of handing the baton to him the following season. That's what I think is going to happen. I don't think they trade Matt Ryan and Julio sort of unceremoniously, if you will, ending their tenures in Atlanta by trading them for Deshaun. I'm not here to tell you that's the right or the wrong thing to do. Uh, I also don't think that's what's getting it done. I don't think Houston is looking to start over with, what is Ryan, 36, 37 years old. I don't think that's the direction they want to go either. Bob, give me one more quick one. Go. Akeem. Akeem, you're on uh, ESPN Radio. What would you like to know? How you doing? I'm good. What would you like to know?
2: I want to know,
0: will the Ravens continue to run the ball with just Lamar Jackson and be cool with just mediocre passing or were they focused more on passing the ball and still able to run the ball effectively in
1: 2021? It's a great question. I mean, it, it really is the $64 million question in the NFL right now, which is, was Lamar Jackson's somewhat disappointing season, and he actually played great down the stretch, but was the lack of a passing offense driven by whatever it is we think Lamar can't do, or was it driven by the talent that they have? They have built their entire offense around this unique running game. And what they do not have is the perimeter threat. I mean, Hollywood Brown is the closest thing they've got to it. They've got all these tight ends. They don't have, you know, the, 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 the threats on the outside to allow Lamar Jackson. This is one school of thought to be the quarterback that he could be standing back in the pocket and flinging it. Others will tell you that that's not his skill set and it is not, that he's not going to do that well. I obviously don't know which of those is true. What I do believe they will do is they will go out and they'll get themselves a receiver. I've had Bart Scott lobbying for Odell Beckham. I've had all sorts of names you're going to hear. If the Ravens, you will get the answer to your question, Hakeem, if they do indeed go out and get the receiver, which I think they will do, and they will start building a little more of a traditional offense and use Lamar's insane dynamic athleticism as part of the package, but not the most important part of his game. In fact, let's ask that question of Booger McFarlane. We'll do that next. He's going to join me right after this. I'm Greeny on ESPN Radio. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Greeny, the podcast. Back and better than ever. Greeny with you coming to you live as always from above the Heineken River deck at Pier 17. And when there is football to be discussed there is only one man with whom I want to discuss it, and that is the one and only Booger McFarland, who joins me here on ESPN Radio. Booger, you told me on television this morning you were going to go outside and do a little chipping and putting uh, between the TV appearance and this. Have we accomplished that so far today?
0: Yes, a little chipping and a little putting. I uh, even did a little pitching also, so I added another element to the golf game.
1: Well, let, let me discuss with you the, the the degree of disdain with which I received that news as I look out my window and there are there are 20 inches of snow on the ground and much more of it forecast for tomorrow. Do those of you who live in these warm weather climates realize how much the rest of us hate you?
0: Yeah, Granny, I I, I do. But I also realize that it's a personal choice, uh, you know, that there are some things that you have the benefit of in, in Connecticut and New York that I don't. I can't name a lot of them, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave you to do that.
1: Yes, I'll try and think of them as I'm scraping ice off of my windshield with a credit card later today. Uh, Booger McFarlane <laughs> is with me. Well, let's dive into this here. I just had a caller ask a question. I'm going to ask it to you. The caller asked me, do you expect Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense to look different next year? Should we expect to see a lot more of him passing the football in a more traditional way? What is the right answer to that question?
0: It's going to be different. Gr- it's only going to be different if he gets better. And I know everyone wants to say, well, get Lamar a number one receiver and, you know, all else will be taken care of. And, and there's a little truth to that. But the bottom line is this, Greedy, unless he continues to evolve as a passer, it doesn't matter if you stick Jerry Rice on one side and Michael Irvin on the other side, you've got to get the ball to him where they can catch the football. And the, right now, John Harbaugh's only goal is to win games. And the way that he feels he can win games the best is the office in which he started a couple years ago where he uses Lamar's great athleticism, and he allows him to dictate and run the football. It's a power running game. Now, it would be foolish for them to morph fully from that because it's been so successful. But if they want to win a championship, which is the ultimate goal, they're going to have to become a little bit more balanced. Like, it can't be so wopsided from the point where they are so good at running the football, but they're just middle of the pack, maybe a little below average at throwing it.
1: So we'll see what they're able to do there and what changes, if any, they make personnel-wise and other. Another caller asked me about the Jets and what they should do with the second pick in the draft, assuming they don't get Deshaun Watson. So they could either stick with Sam Darnold. They could draft somebody at number two. There's a bunch of options. If they don't get Deshaun Booger, what's the right answer to that?
0: I'm keeping Sam Darnold. I'm going to upgrade the receiver positions. I'm, I'm going to continue to use the picks that I have to build my team. Greeny, you and I both are not far from the point where you were about to name your two kids, Sam and Donald. Mm-hmm. Like, has Sam Donald fallen that far off where all of a sudden we're going down to the, the courthouse to change our kid's name again? I still think the kid has talent. I still think the kid needs to be in an offense, sans Adam Gates, somebody that can be quarterback friendly. Think about what we, t- what we thought about Baker Mayfield. We thought Baker Mayfield was a bust. Are they going to pick up the fifth-year option? In comes Kevin Stefanski. The offense is tailor-made, and voila, Baker Mayfield is all of a sudden the franchise quarterback again. I think Sam Donald can be the same way. And then, again, you can nickname your kids Sam and Donald once again, Greg. Yeah,
1: I know. listen, I mean, it would, it, they're getting tired of this. My kids have had their names changed so many times, going back to when I wanted when my son was born and I lobbied uh, Stace to allow us to name him Chad, um it was actually going to be Chadwick Lavernia Santana Greenberg at that time. You'll remember that team Booger you were playing at that time. Yeah. And, you know, Lavernius Coles and Santana Moss and all that stuff. So I've I've never been able to get past that. We're breaking moves here with Booger. Breaking Moves is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Build your winning team today. Go to LinkedIn.com slash sports. So the three moves everyone really is talking about around the league right now are the three quarterbacks. So let's just go through them in order. Deshaun, what do you expect to happen here? What would you like to see happen with Deshaun Watson?
0: Well, I think everyone who's a football fan wants to see Deshaun Watson play football in Houston, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen because of what he's done for their franchise. He wants to win a championship, and I think that's taken, uh, taken everything over as far as his thought process. The culture in Houston is bad, according to several people, including Deshaun Watson, and he wants out of there. So, at this point, Greeny, I want to see him playing football in the fall. It really doesn't matter where. Hopefully Houston, I doubt it's going to be there, but I think if you're a Houston, you got to be careful because if you trade him away, there are teams look just like the Jets we just got through talking about that are still searching, or some some think they're searching for a franchise quarterback. So Houston's got to be careful here.
1: Yeah, I mean, look. It- he's going to have to put them in a position where they literally have no choice. Right now, all of our insiders say that they're telling everybody they're not planning on trading him. Uh, Booger, the next one is Wentz. And we talked about it on TV a little bit this morning. I just had a caller yelling at me from Philly telling me that the Eagles shouldn't move on from him. He should continue to be their quarterback. And my response to that was my understanding from our insiders that this is Wentz driving it, that it's him who wants out of Philadelphia. What do you anticipate happening here with him?
0: Yeah, I think Carson is going to get traded. I I think I'm hearing the same thing that you heard. He wants out. You know, the organization essentially made moves to keep him. You know, you fired Doug Peterson, who by all accounts wanted Jalen Hurts, and the organization wanted Carson Wentz, so we see who won. So Philadelphia wants Wentz, but Wentz wants out because I think Wentz feels like the organization and and the people in the organization, whether it's teammates, whether it's front office, are really not for his best interest. So he wants to get to a completely different set up and you know what guess what when you're the 100 million dollar quarterback and you got all that money that's due i really don't blame it but here's the thing what organization are you going to go to that's going to tailor made tailor make things for you and put you in a position and what locker room is going to accept you seeing how you didn't want to be in philadelphia even when they set everything else up for you so carson is not going to be there but i would be very very curious as to where he
1: goes and how he is received when he gets there well, the two places we're hearing, one of them is Indy. And Indy feels like a great fit for a million different reasons. And you know that market, obviously, well. you want a Super Bowl playing for the Colts. The other one is the Bears. And the Bears, to me, feels like a disaster waiting to happen. The Bears need a savior. That doesn't feel like a good role for Carson Wentz right now. That is by no means a great team. I mean, Indianapolis, you're stepping into a great team. The Bears are not that at all right now. that That feels to me like a terrible fit if that's what happens. Green,
0: the Bears are that dude that's been at the casino all night, and he's lost about $5,000. He's got $100 left. And he said, you know what? I'm going to take this last $100, and I'm going to just double down and bet it right now. Like, they are looking for a prayer. And if they think that Carson Wentz is going to come in and save Matt Nagy's job and Ryan Pace's job, i I think they're going to go home
1: broke. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I, I, I would say take that, go buy yourself an early breakfast someplace and and and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and be sad. Uh, finally, how about Dak? What, what do you think is going to happen with that?
0: Yeah, Greeny, Uh I think, you know, by all accounts, it's about principle. Like Dallas wants him, Dak wants to be there, but now you got two sides dug in, and if, eventually Dak is just gathering more leverage by the day. Like, even if they want to franchise him now and they franchise him at 38, that means that Dak will have made almost $70 million in two years, and then guess what? Next year they can't franchise him. Kirk Cousins gave Dak the best advice uh, after a game when he told him, hey, big guy, or I think he did it through uh, social media. There's really nothing wrong with the franchise tag because it allows you to make more money than people that we think may be better than you talent-wise. So if Dak Prescott can play the long game, he will by far make way more money in a three- to four-year period than the guy who we think is the best quarterback in football, Patrick
1: Mahomes. Correct. I mean, the, the Kirk cousin, Kirk cousinsing them to death is actually a very good strategy for something like this. And then finally, Booger, it came up this morning. And, and, and on this day, I mean, again, I, I wish everyone a happy Michael Jordan's birthday. It should be a not only a federal holiday, it should be a, a global holiday, a global celebration. Can you please explain, to, as you did this morning, where all these incredibly young people that were surrounded with all the time that there was only one Michael Jordan and there will only ever be one?
0: Well, Greeny, you know what, you and I are old enough to remember when Michael Jordan did things that others only imagined. And I get it. LeBron James is great. He's doing things on and off the court that most people have never seen because they aren't old enough. But Michael Jeffrey Jordan at 6'6", what he did offensively, defensively, and if it were not for a two-year gap where he thought he could go play pro baseball, would have won eight championships in a row is the greatest basketball player that i've ever seen and i've seen jordan i've seen lebron i've seen them all and to me it's really simple it's the goat michael jordan and then if you if if you really get tired of me saying that then you can knock on my door and i'll listen to your lebron and i'll close the door and i'll continue lauding (laughs) michael jordan
1: and i'll be with you i'll be i'll be outside waiting for you to come back with a 60 degree wedge chipping and putting delightfully (laughs) in the tampa sun thank you my good friend enjoy the golf today and i will see you soon Anytime, Greeny. Take it easy, buddy. It's Booger McFarlane. The only thing he loves more than football is golf, which is why there's nothing in the world I love more than talking with him because those are my two favorite things as well. And once again, from Greening, I wish you a very happy Michael Jordan's birthday. And there's only one way we could do the Green List today.
2: The list is what determines who matters in this business. The Green List.
1: Yeah, my top five, this, that, or the other, as chosen exclusively by me, the world's foremost authority on all matters, And again, if you were wondering, people are getting a real kick out of the picture. If you're wondering why I am so partial to Jordan and how long I have felt this way, they just flashed it up there on our TV broadcast. Well done. It is on my Instagram page at ESPN Greeny on Instagram right now. A picture of me covering Michael Jordan my first year that I was doing that. So that would be 1992. I would be 24 years old in that picture. My hair is hilarious. You just have to see it to believe it. Go ahead and feel free to mock it on Instagram at ESPN Greeny. But I've been around the guy that long. I've seen it all, and he was the best. And here are the top five reasons why. Number five. Five things you don't necessarily know about, Michael. You know about the championships all that. Here are the five things you don't know about, Michael. Number five, when they do polling of this sort today and they ask people, who is your favorite athlete? Michael Jordan today polls as the most popular athlete in America. He played his last game 18 years ago. 18 years ago, he is still the most popular athlete in America. Good luck finding anyone else who has ever done that. Number four. Next, and this one is, I think, is my favorite statistic from a basketball standpoint. Michael Jordan was named the NBA's Defensive Player of the Year in the 87-88 season. He was the best defensive player in basketball. That same year, he averaged 35 points a game. That is by a ridiculous margin. The highest scoring total for any player ever to win Defensive Player of the Year. Second on the list is Hakeem Olajuwon, who averaged 27 points a game in 1994. So the margin is from 27 to 35 points. Michael averaged eight points a game more than any other player ever to win Defensive Player of the Year. Number three. Next, Michael Jordan recorded in 1994 and 95 the most unique 30-30 season ever. He stole 30 bases. For the Birmingham Barons. So he had 30 steals for the Birmingham Barons. And he had 30 steals for the Chicago Bulls. Go find me someone, even Bo Jackson, who could do that. Number two. All right, this one is great. And you need to follow this because it's a lot of numbers. But when you get it, boy, it's spectacular. In the entire history of the sport, there have been three seasons in which a player had a total of 100 block shots, 200 steals, 300 assists, and 300 rebounds. All right, just filling up a stat sheet like that over the course of a season. 100 blocks, 200 steals, 300 assists, and 300 rebounds. It's only happened three times. Michael Jordan did it two of those three times, and in both of those seasons, he led the league in scoring. He led the league in scoring those years. I don't mean to say he's the only guy to lead the league in scoring and do those things. No one ever did them at all. And Michael Jordan did them two of the three times it has ever happened and led the league in scoring both times. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Anybody else? Number one. And finally, number one. And this is the best one. It's the reason I put it number one, because I hate load management. Everyone got so tired in the NBA all of a sudden. Michael Jordan won six championships in the NBA, and in those six seasons, he missed a combined total of six regular season games. Six. In those six seasons. And one of them, he was suspended for punching a guy. I think it was in Utah. Where'd he punch the guy, Nuno? I think it was in Utah. Or maybe Utah was the game that he missed because he punched someone. I forget what the details of that were. But one way or another, he only missed six games in those six seasons. These days, I mean, just this year, and I get that there are extenuating circumstances, but Joel Embiid has missed six games this year. Kawhi Leonard has missed six games this year. Paul George has missed nine. Kyrie Irving has missed 10. And Kevin Durant has missed 11. We're like not even halfway into this season. Michael missed six games in six years that he won the championship. And those are today's green list and the reason why, no matter what anybody ever says, nothing will change the fact that Jordan was the GOAT. He was the best of all time. And by the way, today, Michael Jordan shares a birthday with Jim Brown, the legendary Jim Brown. And if you wanted to defend the argument that Jim Brown is the best football player ever, you could easily. He could easily be the best player ever to play pro football. The big difference in being the greatest. He only played nine years. But you want to argue he's the best, you're gonna get no fight out of me. And so Michael Jordan and Jim Brown sharing a birthday got us thinking that's a pretty good birthday. What other date might compete with February 17th? Well, December 30th, Tiger Woods and LeBron James share that birthday. That's pretty good. Pretty good. As we look through some of the others. Hembo threw a bunch of these into this in the page for me. The only ones that I think could even remotely compare. August 21st, Wilt Chamberlain and Usain Bolt. It's pretty good. That's a pretty good combination. If you're willing to extend it out, November 21st, Stan Musial, Troy Aikman, and Ken Griffey Jr. all share that birthday. Brandon is shaking his head dismissively. Okay, so we're not putting that in the same category with the goat birthdays. Fair enough. Okay, but there's only one way I wanted to finish it today. I'm sorry, what? what, what, what? I'm sorry, what, what? I'm sorry, what?
2: I'm sorry, what?
1: When people ask me, oh, I hit the wrong one. I wasn't, supposed, I wasn't trying to hit I'm sorry, what? See, now I fooled our TV people and everyone. That's not what I meant to hit. I meant to hit tell me a story. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you my favorite story about covering Michael Jordan. So people ask me all the time, what is your favorite memory of covering Jordan? And there are so many things I could point to. But the story that I usually tell when I'm asked that question, and I tell it anytime I've ever asked to speak at a graduation or anything of that nature, and it is a story that I think tells a great lesson about life, is a story that took place when Michael Jordan was playing baseball. So when Michael went down to play baseball, In 1994, I went, I was working for a radio station in Chicago and I got sent down there to Sarasota, Florida, Ed Smith Stadium, which is where the White Sox used to train in those days. And I was there to cover that. The first day Michael was there, there had to be 150 members of the media. Ted Koppel did Nightline from there. About a week later, there were, as I recall, four of us that were around him on a daily basis. Reporters for the Chicago sun times Chicago Tribune, the Daily Herald, which is the suburban newspaper, and me. We were with Michael every day. And if you will remember it, Michael was being excoriated. Sports Illustrated had a cover that said Michael Jordan and the White Sox are embarrassing baseball. There was a lot of negativity about Michael getting this opportunity to play baseball, even though he was, he was the three-time defending NBA champion and a beloved figure. People were crushing him and crushing the team. For what they considered to be something that was diminishing the game of baseball. Okay. That's the setup. Michael, you might recall started hitless for, I want to say his first almost two weeks. I forget what the number was, but he didn't get a hit for a long time. And it was excruciating to watch excruciating and one rainy night in a little minor league ballpark in Florida with maybe Maybe a ballpark that holds 2,000 people, and there might have been 80 in attendance because it did not look like they would play the game. It was rainy, but they wound up playing. And the four of us reporters in attendance, Michael Jordan got his first hit. He did not smash the ball off the left center field wall. He did not hit a home run. He got fooled on a curveball, swung out of his shoes, and hit a little dribbler up the third baseline and beat it out for a base hit. That was his first hit. After the game is over that night, the four of us reporters go down to the clubhouse, down to the locker room, and they are giving Michael Jordan a beer shower. And those were some very famous players on that team. The White Sox were good. They had Frank Thomas and Robin Ventura and Jack McDowell and Alex Fernandez. Uh, Those were good teams. That, That team was a good team. And they are dumping cheap beer on Michael Jordan. He is stripped to the waist. He's got his baseball pants on, no shirt. He's got a bat, baseball bat over his shoulder. And he's got the cigar. And they're pouring beer all over him. And then everyone sort of leaves him alone. They're celebrating his first hit. And we all go over. We ask him a bunch of questions. And then we're leaving. We're going to go do our work. Those guys are going to write their stories. And I'm going to file my stuff. And as I was walking out the door of this little tiny clubhouse, smaller than, uh, than than the locker room at my high school, something moved me to turn around. And I turned back and I looked at Jordan. And he was sitting on a little bench, again, in this tiny little room, stripped to the waist, covered in cheap beer, smoking a cigar. And the look on his face was a look of satisfaction that I would describe as the equal to anything I had ever seen on his face before. Bear in mind, this was a man who, to that point, had won three NBA championships, had hit a shot that won the NCAA college basketball championship, and he had won two gold medals in the Olympics. But in that moment, that look on his face was a look of satisfaction and exaltation that was practically the equal of anything I had ever seen. And I've thought a lot about that moment. And what I think it means is, in life, you've got to celebrate the dribblers. Everything in life is not smashing it off the left center field wall. Every once in a while, you dribble one up the third baseline and you beat it out for a base hit. And that is to be celebrated. And that is a lesson that all of us can take. I learn more about greatness from spending time just observing Michael Jordan than from any other thing and place in my life. And that is one of the days I will never forget. So happy birthday, Michael Jordan. Thank you for showing us all what greatness really looks like. And thank you for hanging out with me today. Happy MJ's birthday. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow on ESPN Radio.
0: Greenie, the podcast.